Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. So we're gathered here again for another Senior Scribblers Writers Group recording session. And we'll talk about spring because we're at the end of March and looking for April, and this will be airing during April. So Today we'll do being a- the second day of spring, which was every bit as lovely as the first day of spring, I am optimistic. Optimistic. The word for the day. There you go. Yes. Isn't it the third day of spring? Monday was the first. Today I is think Monday Wednesday. was the last day of winter. <laughs> but the fact that we're dealing with quarter days every fourth year, I don't know where you time slice the day specifically. And now my head is filled with astronomical calculations, so I'm going <laughs> to stop talking. <laughs> So, Steve, who do we have with us today? Good question. I was just going to do that intro round. (laughs) That's quite all right. Quite all right. We can redo that intro round so that as the listeners continue to stay, and we hope they do, they'll be able to recognize the voice and say, oh, that's Steve Sherlock, and... I am Peter J. Hello. Hi, and I'm Faith Flaherty. Al Larkin here. Hello, I'm Bill Wiley. And I'm Alice Judge. Indeed, so we got that round. And Bill, I hear you got a couple. You want to lead us off? Okay, well, uh, this one is called, uh, I Declare My Love. A live chat with you I just did finish, but my love for you will never diminish. As we chat online, you do excite. These feelings inside soar to heights. These warm feelings, they just last so long. I hope these feelings will never be gone. We declare our love to each other because I know there will be no other. Oh, my love, it's you that I desire. My feelings inside burn like fire. I asked my love if she read my poem. From you, my darling, I will never roam. She printed my poem out and it sits on her desk. I know our love will just be the best. These feelings of love, they make me happy. After I recover from my cold, that made me feel crappy. (laughs) (laughs) My darling, my darling, you must be mine, now and forever and all time. I go to bed with this feeling, with this happy, happy feeling, but deep inside, my heart is a reeling. That's one of them. Nice. Well done. This next one is called uh, Together We Stand. My love will go on, it will not stop, until we climb to the mountain top. The beauty I see, the beauty you are, I know together we will go far. I feel sweet love way deep inside. I will tell you my passion that I will not hide. I lay in my bed before I sleep. I want you beside me, your love I seek. I'll cook you spaghetti, that is my wish, but oh my darling, you are my favorite dish. We'll go for a walk. Together we'll hold hands. I know together that we will stand. I will stand in the rain. I will get soaking wet. Just to be close beside you, you'll be glad we met. When we chat with each other, my fire burns high. I look at your beauty and understand why. I pray for the day that we will get together. I'll meet you in sunshine or rainy weather. Good night, my sweet darling. Together we'll be. I'll show you my world for you to see. Okay, how's that? <laughs> All right. Got something good going there, Bill. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> You're in good form as usual, Bill. I think you did something for spring? spring? I did. Spring, I did. Spring, I did. <laughs> and uh, 
so this one is actually, uh, I think, one of the things that spring is about, which is very much like New Year's, where there's this sort of re reaffirmation, rejuvenation of life and all that. Um, and so it's written with that in mind. And so the title, if you will, is Sproing. It started last week. It's official this week. Sproing. That's the happy imaginary sound in my head when we spring forward to reset our clocks to daylight savings time. Most would agree that winter around these parts was milder than usual, and we're good with it. No complaints. However, winter is winter. Then suddenly, sproing. Last week in a single day, we sproinged to a later sunset. Dramatic. It's a clear manifestation of what surely arrives this week, spring. Yes, spring, with its greening, its lengthening days, rising warmth mixed with balmy breezes and occasional gusts of enthusiasm. Spring puts the eating season in the rear view. Eating season starts with the leftover Halloween candy, and it ends with the Valentine's Day chocolates. In between, there's Turkey Day. Technically, that's a full and pretty filling weekend. All those Christmas parties, that special New Year's Eve dinner with dessert, and then all those Super Bowl super snacks, calories dipped in calories. There's nowhere to hide that extra 10, 15 pounds. But spring is about striving. It's our annual second chance to dust off those New Year's resolutions. Having made the most of eating season, unfortunately for many of us, we can now redouble our efforts to make the most of spring and ourselves. Given that dieting is the top resolution that fails at New Year's, we now strive to make the least of ourselves. Advice. Don't go crazy. Dieting done right eventually finds its way forward to become a stable lifestyle. So start simple. Start small. Diet for one day a week. That's it. One day a week. Then two. Then maybe later on after you've gotten accustomed to that, try Monday, Wednesday, Friday with the idea that in between, because you need reasonable relief along the way, you just don't go crazy on the other days. Having a planned, adjustable mix of light days and reasonable days is a start towards setting and navigating a healthy lifestyle. It avoids fast dieting, which all too often results in fast failure and disappointment. So let the spring, spring dieting begin. Why? because last year's bathing suit is unforgiving. Yet, you want to look svelte, even slinky, in it. And that pernicious eating season weight, it just won't spring itself off. Sounds like an advertisement. Sounds like an advertisement for tops. Yes, I know. You and I have talked about tops. And in fact, it's, it's sort of inspired in part by tops and the philosophy of tops about eating sensibly. Yeah, yeah. Just eat the way you're supposed to eat. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's a, I like your idea to try just one day. That's it. If you could, everybody can do a day. Yeah. You know, and Don't eat the junk. One day. Don't eat if the you've, junk. If you've fallen out of habit, okay, Monday's coming. And so the way I used to get back into it, I said, you know, Monday's coming up again. Maybe this Monday I'll get right, like, get serious about it and just do that day. Yeah, Mondays. And the following Monday, same thing. And... Next thing you know, you got three or four Mondays lined up in a row. And, okay, let's take a look at either switching on either the Wednesday or the Friday, but something. Get a second day going in the week. And so 
by sort of time splitting that, you don't find yourself facing one of those diets where everything is completely monotonous. Every, every single day is like every other day. You know, you eat the label off of a can of something. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that seems to have worked for me. And I've been able to keep off the 80 plus pounds. Great. For wow. more than 15 years now. But you wake up in the morning and say, oh, what, what day is today? Okay, this is the day that I do this or that. Exactly. But even before that, it starts when you go to the shopping, what you bring home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> it. Yes. That's it. Being mindful of making good purchases. Yeah, right. You got something, Faith? Yep. This is called egocentricity. Okay. <laughs> The time that's, a, that's a bigger title than Sproing. <laughs> <laughs> the time is 1950s. I'm in the sixth grade. We walked to school. Going home, we walked in what we call patrol lines. The oldest, the sixth graders, were leaders of all the other children. One sixth grader walked in front, one in the back, and if there were more sixth graders along the side... Patrol leaders wore white belts with a badge on it. Early in the sixth grade, the principal came into the class to talk to us about patrol lines, how we were the leaders of the school, role models. People looked up to us. And also, she said, one of us was to be chosen the captain of the patrol leaders. Who would that be? Could it be me? The principal continued on. This child was a good student. That's me. This child was well-behaved. That's me. Friendly. Me. Kind. Me. Gets along well with others. That's me, me. Supportive of the school. A good example. Me, 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 me. I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. The child's name was Ellen Jane Schmutlack. Ellen Jane Schmutlack. Not me. I was shocked. Not me. I'm still in shock. Not me. Not that Ellen Jane Schmutlack wasn't okay. I didn't know her that well. She didn't live near me, and I didn't play with her often. But it wasn't me. I couldn't get over that. Unbelievable. I think we need to go egg Ellen's house. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's called egocentricity. With the last name like Schmutt, what is it, Schmutt? Schmuttlack. Yeah, with a name like that, she had to have something. (laughs) You got something for us today, Al? Well, I have something that has more to do with family, and I'm interested, everybody, so many people, uh, their memories of the uh, mostly vivid are of the youth and mm-hmm. those experiences. And because we learn all those in family, and so I have something about family today, and it's the place where we all learn how to live. Uh, we learn by doing, and whether it's parents or, or young people growing up, relatives and friends, we all learn by our experiences. And so today... Uh, I'm going to talk about a, a family that uh, wasn't all Aussie and Harriet. Uh, there are shadows and skeletons that come out sometimes. But it's, uh, it's all about uh, love. Love is the answer, no matter what the problem, mm-hmm. getting through it. Sure. So this is uh, Darby Flynn's story, and it's called Mother Trump's Wife. 
parents, John and Gertrude, were married in the late 1920s, just before the Great Depression. They brought on a hardship for many families, including the Flynn's. They began their family with five sons, two daughters in those years. The couple needed to be adept to the challenge uh, so many faced. What they lacked in material goods had to be made up in their faith for each, with each other, together with God, and in their hope for the future. With hard work, some welfare help from President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, they all got through it, bringing us to the entry and coming out of World War II. It was now the late, the late 1940s. Their children had seen much affection from their hard-working dad and for their, from their mom, who always seemed to be up, singing all those cowboy songs, including the one titled, Oh, Johnny, my dad's name. Some hard-working men became hard drinkers in those times, and my dad was one of them. I remember my mom talking to her father's sister, Aunt Anne, all about a man who just bought a liquor store. And my mother, who had lots of sayings, said, he'll never have a bit of luck. She wasn't against having a drink. It was just all that drinking. We were usually always glad to see our dad come home and for the affection affectionate embrace he had for our mother. The trackless trolley stopped at the top of Dudley Street, and my dad could come home from work. And my dad, coming home from work, could walk down to our house on the next corner, or there was the tavern just a few steps away. Too often, it was the tavern. Inside, there were mooches giving him strokes so he might buy them one. And how my mother could have used those nickels and dimes that he would slide across the bar, asking for another and another. When finally leaving for home, she could only hope the neighbors wouldn't see him stagger down the sidewalk to the house. Those were the only nights we hated to see him coming. Who knew in those days of alcoholism as an addiction or dependency someone could have with an impact on family life? We children were huddled together in the middle bedroom off the long hallway that led to the front door, listening to our mother being berated by our father so unjustly and being accused of carousing with other men, a total fantasy. He's doing it again to the mother we love. These are fearful times for us as the muffled bellowing comes through the walls of our large nine-room apartment that was once a rooming house called The Cottage. There are five sons and two daughters, of which Trudy was the oldest, and now myself, just 16, and the eldest son, as the, our older brother John had gone off to the Navy. I love both my father and mother, but this has to stop. With fear and trembling, I made my way into the hall that leads to an alcove and into the dining room. The sound was even louder now, 
as I was about to enter my parents' bedroom. It was a large room with a bay window and a fireplace. My mother was standing on the left side of the bed, away from my father, who was on the other side, pointing and chastising my mother from there. Of the five sons, I knew I was my dad's favorite, but that may not save me tonight. As I crossed over the threshold, my mother said, here's the boy for you. I cried out, leave her alone. My father was a giant of a man who lifted his large hand, pointing and said, Darby, get out of this room. The back of that hand from, man, from a man who knew boxing could send someone tumbling across the room. Then all I could say again was, leave her alone. My father then said, well, she's my wife. This went right over my head, though it sounded like there was some kind of authority in that, giving him such a right that was inherent in being the husband. And he had a perfect right to do so. My being spirit-led in the first place, I was given to say, she may be your wife, but she's my mother. My father then said, well, I'm your father. The cruelest thing this favorite son could say was, well, why don't you start acting like one? David, with his smooth stones and slingshot, could not have delivered a more terrible blow, causing my father to double over with grief as he stepped through the large open pocket doors into our living room. When I look back today, how I wish I had gone to my dad and say, I was sorry for that. Please be good to our mother. An embrace for my mother would also have been healing. What did I know? I was just a kid. As painful as it all was, though, that was the last of that type of incident relating to drinking. Little did I know what kind of baggage my dad was carrying in those days relative to his own mother and father's relationship. My father may have been trying to somewhat, in a somewhat vicarious way, doing what his father, Jake, should have done with his wayward wife, Georgiana. My father's mother, who was our grandmother, my dad, John, was born to my grandmother, Georgiana, at 16. She was married to then my 30-year-old grandfather, Jake. He was an attractive and vital blacksmith from the small village she grew up in. They are having one child after the other in what seemed a misplaced youth for this very lovely, vivacious young woman who had this love for my grandfather. She no doubt became overwhelmed with all that care and giving to her family. As blacksmith for the village, Jake was very busy providing for the family and the community, not seeing this need in his wife and her searching for love in all the wrong places. Still, he loved and forgave her. My dad must have seen too much of this as his mother was unfaithful on several occasions during his youth. He loved this mother, of course, 
but was ever so fond of his father and surely shared in some of the pain his dad was going through in those days. It seemed to scar him still right into his late life as father and husband. I have fond memories of my grandmother as she was this very sweet nana as she was to be called, not grandma. The first time I laid eyes on her was when my Aunt Anne picked up both me and my brother John when we were 10 and 11 years old at the railroad station, bringing us through the front door of Nana's home on Prince Edward Island, Canada. She then called up to her mother, Mom, come see who's here. When our Nana came to the top of the stairs and looked down, she exclaimed, Oh, well, the dear, 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 dear little boys. This was the beginning of the affection I remember of this sweet, lovely face we call Nana. When some of the skeletons of the family were revealed later in my life, I could only wonder if my father John was working out his demons from the past of his mother's infidelities, perhaps being released in him under the influence of alcohol when he was accusing my mother of that behavior. What my dad's father, Jake, could and should have said and done to stop his mother, Georgiana, way back then. I can only wonder, I can only wonder, judge not, we are told, lest you be judged. This is what I have for my grandmother, and I bless her to this day. And for the good man that my father was, who became the victim of a bad habit which led to addiction, resulting in some negative effects on an otherwise happy, loving family. Sorry for the heavy. Yeah. That was heavy. <laughs> Sorry. There are times when it does get heavy. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Dobby story. Alice, you have something? Yes, I do. Um, uh, did you want to go first? That's okay. You can go. I have, I have eight pages here, double-spaced. Well, I'm going to read the cha- uh, first chapter of my book, Murder is Bad Price, which is done. Hallelujah. It is done. Hallelujah. So this is chapter one, lest somebody, you know, out there forget. I was talking to my sister Joan when I heard my newspaper editor, Bill Shaw, buzz me on my intercom. Joan, the big man, is paging me. I quickly rang off and made strides towards his office. The cops found a dead female in the woods at the corner of Wilson and Pickett. See what it's all about. I grabbed my purse and left with a heavy heart. Was a dead body, my missing roommate, Blaine Ugent. I had known her for long, but I didn't wish her harm. Shaw had hired Blair when she applied for a writing job. When I was introducing her around the newsroom, she mentioned she needed a place to live. I have an extra bedroom, which I offered her. I needed the extra money a renter would give me. Shaw sent Blair out to cover a meeting that evening. My new roommate never came home, nor could anyone at the meeting tell me she had been there. Wilson and Pickett Streets were way across town. Fortunate for me, 
I made all the green lights. All of Sandy Ridge's finest were at the site, plus a couple hundred onlookers. I slowly inched my way toward Police Chief Ed Hall. What is it, Chief? Some cute young thing that doesn't look cute anymore. Hall shook his head. Someone wanted to make sure she was dead. I thought of Blair. Can I see the body? Hall shot a look at me. Easy does it, hotshot reporter. The medical examiner is with the body now. You don't get into the crime scene, you know that. I stayed another hour trying to piece over her conversations together, then decided for, to look for the medical examiner, Dave Berger. I couldn't rest until I knew. Berger didn't seem to be surprised to see me. I knew I'd see you sometime tonight. I won't have anything conclusive on the girl for several days. Just tell me how old she was and I'll leave you alone for a while, I promise. Allison, her face was badly bruised and there was head trauma. She must have been hit from behind, tried to get up and was hit again several times. Someone in her 20s, I asked, growing impatient. Berger looked at me strangely. Do you need to tell me something? I sat down telling him I thought it might be my missing roommate. Berger said he didn't know I had a roommate. I told him about Playa getting hired at the Courier and how I asked her to be my roommate. I told him about the meeting she was supposed to have covered and how Blair hadn't come home. I told him how guilty I felt about not helping her. He listened intently. How old is Blair, he asked. Two years younger than me, 24. And her build, asked Bergam, shapely. I thought back to how I saw the guys at the courier practically salivate when looking at her, he smiled. Well, continue to look for Blair, Allison. I stared at Bergam. He put his hand on my shoulder in a comforting gesture. The victim must be 50 pounds overweight. 50 pounds, are you sure? Berger chuckled. I know shapely when I see it. And this girl is not. She's heavy. Go home. Your roommate will show up and hopefully will find out who this is, who this Jane Doe is. The medical examiner paused. Don't share this information with Hall or I will, will lose my job. I nodded. Leaving Berger, I looked at my watch. It was 6.30. Mother would ha be livid. I had been roped into going over her house for dinner. I hopped into my car and burned rubber. If I was lucky, she would give me the silent treatment all evening. But Mother ne never missed a chance to zing me. She really got irritated when I maintained my composure, which I vowed to do tonight. Speeding over to Mother's house, my mind wandered to Ronnie, my mother's newest. They had met at an AA meeting. She had gotten into the sauce pretty good when Dad died. It seemed ironic at the time, since Dad had been an alcoholic and treated her badly when he drank. She vowed never to touch the stuff. Mother hadn't had much of a life with Dad. Joan and I both knew that. Although in the end, when Dad was diagnosed with cancer, they appeared to have come to a truce in their fighting and made the best of what was to be. 
mother started going to Al-Anon, dad started, stopped drinking and went to AA. When dad died, mother changed. She started dating right away. I suppose she was lonesome, although Joan and I spent a lot of time with her. Once a dowdy dresser, she wore short skirts and tops exposing cleavage. Needless to say, she attracted men. Every night she'd go out by hopping. Joan and I thought it was grief at first. Then we thought it might be a midlife crisis. We waited for her to change back to the mother we knew, which wasn't that great, but at least we knew what she had to, we had to deal with. That hadn't happened so far. Mother met Ronnie at an AA meeting, but lately I got the idea they didn't go any longer, and sometimes I smelled liquor on Mother's breath. I was musing over this when a horn behind me broke my reverie. The light was going, had changed to green. I wasn't sure I was up to any news and my mother might have. She didn't answer the door at first. She did that sometimes. On the third ring, she opened the door and stared at me. I couldn't help it, I said. They found a girl's body and Shaw wanted me to get over there. It's a hot story for tomorrow's edition. My mother reluctantly moved aside so I could come in the house, but I felt her frozen stare on my back as I went into the living room. Ronnie was well on his way to feeling no pain. His eyes were red and he weaved almost like he was dancing as he came over to me to kiss me on the lips. It was a wet, sloppy via kiss. Oh, we started without two since she didn't call, said Mother peevishly. Determined not to let her get me, I told her I was glad they had and sat on the couch. I wondered if I would hear her good news before or after I ate. I hoped after because I was hungry. Mother offered me some scallops wrapped in bacon. Hmm, fancy. I made meatloaf, Ronnie's favorite, she told me again. As an aside, she added, I know you like it too. Great, I moved towards the dining room, aware of the hunger noises emitting from me. They followed my mother taking Ronnie's arm. I never liked it when I saw Ronnie sitting in Dad's spot at the head of the table, but brushed my feelings off and concentrated on the meatloaf, mashed potato salad, and broccoli. It was delicious, and I did it justice. Mother made a point of having to warm our plates up in the microwave. I tried to stay calm. I refused Mother's apple pie. Ronnie and she had two slices. Ronnie kept complimenting my mother on the dinner until I thought I would gag. The freeloader never took my mother out for an evening. She always cooked. I started to clear the dishes. My mother asked me to stay put. We can do that later, she said. Ronnie and I want to tell you our good news. I put on a false smile. Mother put her hand over Ronnie's. You know that I have been very lonely since your father died, she began. Are they going to get married? I need something to occupy my time, she continued. I nodded, hoping I looked encouraging. So Ronnie and I are going to open up a health club. A health club? Was she crazy? Yes, 
Ronnie's got some great ideas, and Sandy Ridge doesn't have anything but the YWCA. So this could bring the town up to speed with the rest of the world. What could I say? Mother and Ronnie were excited. Uh, when do you anticipate this taking place? Have you thought this through? Who's going to run the club? Well, Ronnie and I are looking at Lane now. Ronnie will hire trainers to work out with clients. His name has clout in the field with his winning competitions and all. Yeah, how many years ago, I thought. I'll do the bookkeeping and be the receptionist. It would be fun. Mother rattled on. Ronnie Lee leaned across his plate and kissed my mother. People are health conscious these days, but they need some direction to get in shape. That will be my job, he said proudly. Does that mean they'll both stop drinking? Both Ronnie and my mother looked at me expectantly. I thought frantically of what to say. You certainly have surprised me. Ronnie got up and poured another beer. He filled my mother's wine glass. I told them I didn't know what to say. My mother didn't notice my pensive look. Well, it will be a while yet before things get started. Ronnie wants to be sure the land we buy is in a good area with plenty of foot traffic and parking area. Yes, that would be important. I looked at my watch. Oh, look at the time. I do have to get back to the newspaper. I'll just clear these things and put them in the dishwasher, and then I'll leave. You and Ronnie have so much to talk about. I could hear the two chatting away in the dining room while I performed my task in the kitchen. They appeared to be oblivious to me, and when I returned to the dining room to say goodnight, Ronnie was kissing my mother and fondling her breasts. I quickly left, the meatloaf turning sour in my stomach. I wrote to the newspaper in a rage. Hercules was going to tap mother's money to finance what he wanted. Well, maybe John, John and I would have something to say about that. I wrote up the story about the murder. Phil Hodge had gotten great photographs. He had put them on my desk, and I wrote quickly, my mind with mother and her losing boyfriend. I finished. The story would be front page news tomorrow. It was after 1 a.m. when I turned the key to my condo. I called Blair's name outside her room, nothing. I was pushed and crawled into bed. I had nightmares all night long. I was chasing someone. When I caught up to the person, it was mother. She was in a workout gear. And such is the intro. Now you're going to join. Now people should be able to follow that journey. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> Alice has a penchant, if you will, mm -hmm. for intrigue. For intrigue. I do. Uh... <clears throat> I've got a new poem called This Branch, picking up on the bare branches that we see around uh, this March, getting into April with spring, as it's our theme as Pete elucidated earlier. This branch, cluster of kids playing around the front yard tree, taking turns, trying to climb a low branch, failing to clamber successfully to the next branch. 
Green stems protrude tentatively from the cold, brown earth. Is it spring yet, or is this new weather and experience a budding branch? The third group had set times within which to set the stage, to perform, and then to clear their set, props and all, to enable the judicial branch. Heated greenhouse served as the classroom for seed lessons amidst the seedlings beginning their own journey into the world food branch. Completed reading the collected works of my namesake, his perception and logic astound some to this day in awe of his prowess in the detective branch. Perhaps some of the family recipes passed down through the ages were really developed as means of survival to make the most of the food available to that branch. Part two, I cleared a vine or two that had tangled themselves between the tree. It would have caused more damage if I hadn't clipped that branch. Soccer is the beautiful game, even more beautiful when the team can move within and play with the triangles passing to the open branch. The grill flames blew out twice while cooking, the wind blustering with such force. Fortunately, the grill relit quickly. Enough heat had built under that branch. Odd how the last time we had been to this restaurant had been for my aunt's birthday. Then we hear that she has passed. Only two sisters left of my mother's branch. We should be more careful with whatever we're talking about when little ones are around. They do listen. Remarkably, they will repeat what we have said about the branch. Density and affordable housing are incompatible pairs. They are good enough for them to be built elsewhere, as long as they do not get built on this branch. On the first day of spring, all the major papers have dire headlines. Significant action is required, or climate change will make life a real challenge on this branch. Bill, I think you got a couple more? Yeah, I got a couple more. I'll read a couple more. Okay, this one is called uh, My Heart's Desire. My heart's desire, you set my world on fire. It's you that I want. It's you that I need. To you, my darling, my heart has brought me to thee. I feel this love. It's you I must touch. I love you so much. We found each other from so far away. I hope someday together we'll stay. We will lean on each other. We will grow so close. I lift my glass and to you I toast. I don't drink beer. I don't drink wine. But with you, my darling, I spend the rest of my time. I'm hopelessly in love. There is no doubt. With you, my darling, I'll scream and shout. I found a woman to share my world, and she is such a beautiful girl. My heart's desire, my world's on fire. You bring me joy. I'm a happy boy. With you, I'll stay. I will never go away. I'll read one more. This is, uh, our love will grow like the flowers. It's you that I want, uh, I'll tell that again already. It's you I want to hold. Love you with all my heart and soul. My love for you is so strong. With you is where I belong. Your love is what I need. You have opened my eyes to see. You are my sun with the r- rise of the morning. You are my moon in the dark of night. 
Together our love will grow like the flowers. Together our life will be out of sight. You and I will walk into the sunshine. You and I will walk in the rain. Together our love will be so beautiful. I will love you, my darling. We will have no pain. God has blessed me. Together we'll be. I will love you, my darling. I will shout to the world. I want you here close beside me. I will tell everybody that you are my girl. I will kiss you goodnight, but it will never be goodbye. Because when we are together, the time will just fly. Mm. Okay. Mm. That's enough for now. <laughs> did you uh, did you write those last two as you were listening to others? <laughs> no, I just I, I just I just write them as they come. <laughs> You're inspired. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll take that in an offline perspective <laughs> since we're recording at the moment. <laughs> so thank you all for listening to the sharings of some family stories centricity, the spring and sprung, some poetry, and for the, the first paragraph, first pa- passage into uh, the book that'll take us on a journey when we get to read it that Alice has written. So as we close this session, a quick reminder that the Senior Center Scribblers meet weekly at the Senior Center, and once a month we meet here in the studios at Franklin TV. Um, if you are remote of Franklin and would like to participate, contact the Senior Center or info at Franklin TV. We'll include you on the email distribution list so you can participate remotely. And we can listen to your stories and your voice as we share our writings and listen to yours as well. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.